0: like to me the sport is dying and we need to do everything we can no matter how drastic it is
1: to revitalize it. Welcome to Clocker Counter. I'm James Wiseman and with me is Ryan Young. So today is a little bit of a public service announcement. We're going to talk about updates to the judging system that are mostly technical in nature and Ryan has all the details, but I think it's more like Setting up the system for the future and making sure that the technology and the coding is robust, but then for fun, we'll have a more free flow conversation about different kinds of judging systems that we think would be cool going forward. Um, but first, I have a quick update. Ryan, last podcast, mentioned the movie Oppenheimer. I went and saw it in the theater. And although the movie is not without a couple of flaws, it's one of the best just Hollywood pure entertainment big budget films i've seen in at least five years now ryan will say but have i seen the animated spider-man film (laughs) which i have not seen yet and i'm sure will, will also blow me away but hollywood doesn't make a lot of original big budget films like this anymore and it sounded like you loved it i'm obsessed i might go see it two more times in theaters which is something I don't think I've ever done. I don't think I've ever (laughs) seen a movie twice in theaters, but I really want to watch it again at least once because it was that interesting.
0: It was like five episodes of Chernobyl until pushed into one movie. That's what it felt like to me. Exactly.
1: I mean, it also made me want to rewatch Chernobyl, which right now is probably my third favorite show I've ever watched behind The Wire and The Sopranos. But it was, I'm not, I'm kind of becoming a bit of a film nerd. And definitely while watching the film, I thought, I wish I had a movie podcast, but the problem is I'm a freestyle expert and not a movie expert. So no one really wants to know what I think about movies. But this is one of the first times I watched a movie and whether it's because I'm learning more about movies or it was just this masterful, it was the first time I noticed all the non-obvious things like the editing and the sound design. The editing of this movie is incredible. There's four different timelines and the cuts between them are so rapid and fast. And yet the whole movie makes perfect sense. Okay. You know exactly what's happening at all times.
0: I have one comment about that. So the black and white timeline, the frame rate is in whatever, 60
1: or 120 FPS. Did that bother you? I didn't notice that. Although I will say the film is supposed to be seen in 70 millimeter IMAX. And there's only a few 70 millimeter IMAX theaters in the country. I'm not sure there's one near me. And also even regular IMAX has sold out for a while. So there's some aspects of not to use the same word twice, but aspect ratio and frame rate and other things that might be different because I saw it in just a regular movie theater that might be different than IMAX, but I actually usually notice that kind of thing because we learned the hard way when we first started making freestyle videos about what happens if you use weird frame rates. But I didn't notice anything like that in the black and white timeline. So for you, it was really noticeable. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I'm like, this is supposed to be old footage because it's in black and white, but it's so, it's too smooth and I'm like, this feels wrong in my brain. Well,
1: that's interesting. I didn't take it as it's in black and white to show that it's old because that was actually the black and white timeline it's probably the most recent timeline in it. And it's the (laughs) color timelines that are the further back in time. But that's interesting. And just if you have no idea why a frame rate would look different, have you ever seen the Hobbit films? One of the big criticisms of those is they were shot in 48 frames per second. And a lot of people find it really weird. So little film tidbit is that most film you watch is in 24 frames per second. I guess it's technically 23.98 which was set a really long time ago because it looks the most natural to people. (laughs) And sometimes for instance, TV is at 30 frames per second, which also looks relatively natural, but at least to me it looks a little bit more home movie TV movie. (laughs) And there are lots of things now filmed in higher frame rates, like 60 frames per second. But a lot of times those are just so you can go into slow motion or they have a certain kind of aesthetic effect that can be a little bit jarring depending on the circumstances, but that didn't bother me. But I wonder if as a game designer, you could appreciate how they could, for instance, there's so many characters and so many timelines and so many plot points and they're coming at you incredibly fast and intertwined. And yet it's edited in a way that you can understand it. To me, that is a monumental achievement.
0: Okay. I mostly agree. So like in the trailer... Yeah, okay. Go ahead. In the trailer, there's that one scene where Albert Einstein's hat blows off. Yeah. Like that scene in the movie, I had no idea when that happened until the end of the movie.
1: Well, that scene actually came up three or four times in the movie. (laughs) And they kept coming back to it because it was kind of an interesting plot point. But I have a thought on that that I'll come back to. But I think if you had told me ahead of time that it was a movie that had four different timelines going back and forth, I probably would have rolled my eyes and thought... I'm probably not going to like this. I didn't love inception and there are aspects of Christopher Nolan films that I really dislike, but I think this time he nailed it and he got it right. But one thing I will say to anyone on the fence about it, I think the trailer for the movie does it a great disservice. I think the trailer makes the film seem like this old school biopic. Look how great we are. We built the bomb in one world war II. And Matt Damon is all over the trailer. (laughs) And then when you watch the film, it's a much more nuanced, complicated portrayal of not necessarily just one person, although it's called Oppenheimer and obviously he's the main character, but it's about really this bigger project and what it meant and this complicated person's role in it and his complicated feelings about it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, there's lots of things you might not like about it. I don't know if it necessarily has... He, like, I think one criticism people will have out of it is they will assume a certain moral standard that it's deploying and disagree with it. But I actually think it's pretty open to interpretation of what it's trying to say about the bomb and its role in history. I think it presents a few of the different sides, and it's mostly from the perspective of Oppenheimer. And one theme of the movie is that, not to spoil it or anything is that no one, including maybe Oppenheimer, was really sure about what he really thought about it mm-hmm. and what it meant in the future. But at the very least, I don't think it's pro-nuclear weapon <laughs> for what it's <laughs> worth. <laughs> um. Anyways, that was more than anyone wanted to hear about a movie on a freestyle for podcast, but you brought it up last time and I did see it. And so I will do a, a bad podcaster trope, which is to try to shoehorn our movie discussion into our freestyle judging system discussion to say that <laughs> just like in Oppenheimer, the freestyle judging system is a collective effort of a lot of people who aren't totally sure how it's going to work out when it's done. So tell <laughs> me where we're at in the judging system. Uh, it was, I want to say a little bit of surprise to me that you wanted to talk about it because the judging system isn't a subject of much conversation right now, but it sounds like you made some updates to let's call it the background functions of the judging okay. system that you want to tell everyone about.
0: I feel like I gave you the wrong summary before we started. Cause I'm going to talk about something, not what you just said. Okay. But the, what we have now is just one small piece of what I think it should be. And okay. I want to talk about like all of the other pieces and we should start by saying, this is what I think personally should evolve into and not what like the FPA is doing or whatever, but mm-hmm. just to, cause I hear a lot of judging system talk like at parties and it's always framed in this narrow framework and like, but it's so much bigger than that. So I just wanted to tell what I think the size of like the judging system should look like.
1: Okay. I'm terrified about what you're about to say, but <laughs> hit me.
0: Okay. I've told you this before. Okay. So, We have the judging system, but I think we should build a system around the judging system that manages the judging system. So, what I mean by that is this is done in a lot of video games that are updated over time. So, like World of Warcraft or any competitive game like Counter Strike, or what's like a really popular game that people know? League of Legends. League of Legends. Yeah. They do this. So, every year, League of Legends releases a patch and there's like i don't know like a million rules that make league of, Le- league of legends league of legends that year and they change like 500 of those rules and it's a completely new game every year and all the pros have to relearn how to play league of legends and this does several things in that environment one it keeps it fresh so like if you've been playing league of legends for 10 years it's pretty boring and I think if you've been playing Freestyle Frisbee for 10 years, you kind of have the same, has the same effect. Like there's only so much you can do. And like, once you've done everything, like you can run out of things to do. And so okay.
1: you're making w- me super nervous, but keep going. <laughs>
0: so what video games do to combat this is they release patches and they make versions kind of like how we have the 2020 judging system. but. Every year League of Legends releases this huge patch and makes the game fresh again and everyone has to relearn what are the optimal strategies and it's does multiple things it's like I think overall it's healthy for the sport because when it puts all of the pros in an uncomfortable state and they have to relearn and when they're learning they're adapting and they're like building on their skills over time and they're just getting better and better. So like for one, the pros just get better because they have to like learn how to do something slightly different every year and get really good at that. But it's not like they forget everything in the past. Like maybe it'll change back and they'll have to use something they learned back. So it forces adaption. And so I think we can bring that same thing to freestyle. And I think a lot of sports are going to start doing this, like the NBA, like way more progressive sports like that. So what I would suggest for us is because we have a smaller community and we move slower, we have a two-year cycle. So every two years, we have a major update. So something on the level of when we went from the old system to the 2020 system, that level of change. And then in the off year, after Worlds, we just modify it to like, in video games, we call it patching. We just like fix up any loopholes that w- was missed in the first year. And so it gives people two years to adjust to the new system and really optimize their game for the new rules. And every time it changes, everyone is going to have to like adapt a little bit and adjust their game.
1: Well, <laughs> I mean, this is why sometimes it's so hard to be your friend, Ryan. I in theory, love the idea. I think I agree with, I don't know, I have another way to say it. I totally agree with the idea. And if I thought it were feasible and that most importantly, people would be excited about it, I would get on board. But I think there's a couple of problems. And I'm thinking out loud, you totally are <laughs> totally throwing me for a loop here. One, I just think about the pain and suffering to go to the 2020 jetting system. There is so many meetings, so many tears shed and for better or worse, just like it seems in any political process, there are a lot of people who just want to hold on to what we have and don't want to try something different for some good reasons and some bad reasons, some reasons I agree with, some reasons I disagree with. So I'd get really nervous about trying to do something like that every couple of years and the amount of work that would go into it. Now I'll pause on that point and say, if you and I are building the Ryan and James North Carolina States judging system, I would sign up for that right now because we're in charge of that. We don't have to bow to anybody's will on how we judge our own tournament. But once you get the FPA involved, it becomes this really bureaucratic thing. And that's, I don't love that it's like that. And I wish it were different. And I wish just the way our sport is organized were a little bit, I don't know. I don't want to say better, but it's just like kind of troubling how difficult the political process is in our sport, given how small it is and given how close everyone is. I mean, maybe that's the root of the problem that sort of everyone is involved in the political (laughs) process and it has become almost like a direct democracy. And when people disagree about FPA political decisions, it creates lots of personal animosity because of the closeness and tightness of our community. So all that is a problem. And I think you might say something like, and I don't want to over Ryanize it, but this is, I feel like what someone, this is what like someone will come up to me and say, this is what Ryan's doing. People will say like, Oh, like you're just pushing your agenda on the FPA and holding them hostage or whatever. And there is, theres I have that concern because I think the FBA, we sort of depend on this system and you. And so if we, if we, if you say like, this is how you're going to do it and you won't do it otherwise, I don't know. It's just really tough because I understand both sides. I understand that you don't work for the FBA and you don't work for the members of the freestyle community and we can't make you do stuff. And I also understand your perspective of like, this is what I want to do. The FBA can take it or leave it, but there's some disconnect between those two things, like going through an FBA process and being an FBA system and giving you the freedom to do what you want to do and not making you essentially a slave to the (laughs) freestyle democracy.
0: I think at the highest level, we have different high, we have a different goal like the FBA and me. And because we have different goals, it creates problems. Like to me, the sport is dying and we need to do everything we can, no matter how drastic it is to revitalize it, at least keep it stable.
1: I kind of agree with that. And, but now I'm going (laughs) to zag for a second. I'll come back to the judging system, but this is why these days I have a hard time. I don't like using this word because it makes it sound dismissive of people who do care, but I just don't care about the judging system at all. And I haven't for a long time. And I think relatedly, I just don't care about competition and that's part of why I'm retiring. And some of why I feel that way is because I'm in the same position where I think the sport is dying. I don't care the weight of variety at the next world championship. I care about, how orientation is coming up at Duke in a couple of weeks. And I have to fly to Medellin to compete in a world championship. That doesn't mean anything to me when I could be back there trying to save freestyle. So on that point, I totally agree with you. And, but I respond to that fear differently. My response is I'm going to stop focus on focusing on competition and start focusing on teaching people one-on-one as slow a process as that is because it's the only thing I've found that works so far to build new freestylers. And that's that's the gamble I'm going to take. Maybe I'm wasting my time and none of these people keep playing, but <laughs> I think so far it's paid off. But coming back to the judging system, my pushback to your hypothesis that the sport's dying, we need to shake it up, is I tend not to think the competitive format matters very much from a spread the gym perspective. And part of why I think that is that no one has ever asked me in their first day, week, month, or six months of playing, how does this sport judge? And I can't imagine how that the answer to that question would inform whether they were interested in continuing their pursuit of freestyle. Like, in other words, I can't imagine them hearing a particular answer about the judging system and saying either oh now I definitely want to keep doing this or no I'm not interested if that's how this is judged
0: I okay no I'm gonna counter okay
1: so you always talk about
0: you know what to do on day one of a new freestyler but you have a hard time what is day two and like what is like what do you tell them three months and like yeah I think that gap can be filled with competition so it's not like right now freestyle is a problem where you go to the world championships or you do nothing there there's like either play with the best players in the world or you don't compete like that's the two options you have but Mm -hmm. we are missing an amateur scene and what we have now will not make an amateur scene even if we had more players like there needs to be a path to go from day one to world championships. That's easier than what we have now. Cause right now it's like, maybe you get a partner that knows what you're doing and you just go to the tournament and you get cut in the first round. And then two years later you get cut in the semis. And then after that you get, you make it to the finals. Like that's our progression. Mm -hmm. It'd be nice if we had more like the challenger divisions was an attempt to like bridge the gap. But I think we need like, I don't know, like in cycling, there's so many local races where anybody can go out who's been riding for like they spend like five hours a week. That's how much they can practice because they work a full time job and they can go and be mid pack in a race. And I wish freestyle had the equivalent of that or like disc golf. They have like five tiers of amateur and it's great. I think that's super like almost every disc golfer has played in a tournament because it's so accessible.
1: Well, I have two responses to that. One, on the point I made before about feeling like I'm good at day one, but not so good after that in terms of how to guide a new freestyler, my difficulty there is much more trees than forests because my forest is always I'm trying to get you to the point where you're a competent jammer as fast as possible. And jamming is my guiding light, not competition. And other people might disagree. Like I can imagine a world where early on, you can start saying, okay, here are the things that matter for competition. And here are the things that we're going to work on. But for me, it's always going to be, I think I'm trying to get you to the position where you can jam. And part of why I do that is I think jamming is the core of the sport. And I think it's the f- most fun you can have freestyling. So I I mean, I say it's all, I'm trying to get you to the point where you can have the most fun. So those are my goals. So I don't need clarity from a judging system in order to solve my problem there. But my second response is that I agree with everything you said, but it doesn't sound like a judging system problem. It sounds like a broader competitive format yeah, problem. That's what I'm
0: getting. It's like a system around the system. It almost doesn't matter what the judging rules are. It's just that they're targeted for this audience.
1: Okay. Well, that's a very different conversation because I also think for a somewhat silly reason, because there's no existing framework for, for instance, a challengers division at the official FPA level, you could quibble with that and say Frisbeers had a challenger division and that's an FPA major, but whatever, you get the point. I think it would be easier for us to just create a system and to just say, this is available and we're ready to do it. And that could happen outside the process without bothering people. And I'm going to pause for a classic philosophical rant here because it's really interesting to think about this in this context for me, at least which is there's this idea called the endowment effect in behavioral economics, which basically says, let's say I have a bike and I show it to you and I say, hey, this bike is worth about $1,500. I'll give it to you for $1,450. And you say, "Uh, I don't know, that's too much for me, but I'll pay $1,400 for it. And you buy the bike from me for $1,400. I come back the next day and I say, I'll give you $1,500 for the bike back behavioral economics says more often than not, you say no to that, which makes no sense because you were not willing to pay $1,500 for it. You thought it was worth $1,400. That was the most you would pay for it. And yet the minute after you have it, it is worth more to you than when it was given to you. So the reason why I think about this is it's interesting to me that it's almost impossible to change the current FEA system because there's so many headwinds about it and people are so attached to it. But if you present a brand new system to a brand new competitive format, it's actually really easy and people <laughs> don't get particularly upset about it. That's why so, I'm not selling,
0: changing the judging system. We're building a new system around the current system.
1: Well, yeah, it's kind of like <laughs> classic rebranding, right? Yeah. Like You have a big problem with your existing product and there's all these emotions about it. So you're like, hey, it's New Coke. Like It's a total new thing. <laughs> now, New Coke obviously didn't work out very well. But yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting that you can... At least it feels to me, and I think anyone listening will feel this, that if you were creating a challenger judging system, you would have a lot more leeway to create it the way you're going to create it. But let's digress for another second about this general principle. I'm really excited and open to the possibility of a challenger amateur division or any kind of division that would allow people that can't compete at the top level to compete to win something. I also think it's a potential solution to a problem that probably we'll talk about at some point in the podcast. I don't know if you and I are the right people to talk about it, which is what to do about gender divisions and a world that no longer sets things into a gender binary and non gendered, different levels of skill based divisions could be a part of that solution. So I'm very interested in it. But one pushback I'll have is the sort is so small already. And it actually is surprisingly possible to compete at the highest level, even when you don't have the highest skills, that our sport probably needs a challenger-like division less than other sports. So again, I'm 100% in favor of it, but I just wanna push back, partially for the sake of content, of why does freestyle need that when there's only 100 people competing at Worlds and a fair number of them have the chance to win.
0: 'Cause I think a hundred people would compete at worlds, but there'd be six hundred people competing in the M tournaments because the pressure is lower. Like I can imagine someone like Bob bowler who would yeah. never compete at Worlds, but he would play like in a low pressure situation. I can imagine him playing in a low pressure situation.
1: Yeah, I can imagine that. I mean, I think, for instance, Tiny Room had a challenger's division. I think, and tiny I room think was it was a good
0: example of what an amateur event would look like and feel like.
1: That's true. And there were a lot of people that competed in that, that I think would never have competed and did in fact, never compete in the pro division. And I can say from my perspective, Brendan competed and I think the first challenger division, tiny room, but in any case he won and that was a huge deal for him. That was a huge deal for me. And it was incredibly exciting and I think it motivated him a lot in that time to be able to look forward to that competition and compete in it. So I do think there is a lot of value in it. There will definitely be interesting questions about how you would, this could be a whole podcast, just building a challenger division, but how you would determine who is allowed to compete in challengers and who is allowed to compete in pro. And I tend to think at this stage, what we've done before, would continue to work, which is for lack of a better phrasing, you just rely on people's ego. Like the players that are good are going to want to compete in the pro division. And it's not going to mean very much for them to be in the challenger division. And the people that aren't, that are suited for the challenger division will want to be in the challenger division. And of course it's generally fine for anyone who could compete in the challenger to compete in the pro division. It's not like that will cause a problem Mm -hmm. until the tournaments are too big. a problem I would love to have that we need to start kicking people out for time reasons. But I guess there's a theoretical problem of some somewhat ironically humble pro player who decides to compete in challenge division and just dominates. But I can think of several ways to deal with that, Mm -hmm. including the new rating system, especially.
0: Yeah. Sandbagging is the biggest problem, but I don't think it's as big a problem as most people say it is.
1: Yeah. No, I agree. I mean... Just keeping people out that don't have world titles is a pretty good start. (laughs) It's actually, I think it's surprisingly hard to go by rating because I think there are lots of players with high ratings that actually would be relatively well-suited for Challenger. But I'd have to think about that. Yeah. It might be an or test where it's like if you've won a world title or you have a sufficiently high peak rating or something, you can't compete in the Challenger division. But I'd have to think... More about it. I mean, one interesting thing to me, this I almost shouldn't say this. I'll probably regret saying it later. But when the new what did it, what is the initiative to help fund people go to worlds called? New Year, New Jammer, New Year, New Champion? Something like that, yeah. I was really excited by the idea because it was sort of pitched to me. I mean, there's some things about it that I have complicated feelings about, but like I was excited about the part of it where It was supposed to be newer players that weren't necessarily top-skilled. But then the only criteria was you couldn't win a world title. And so I was like, well, actually, there's a lot of super top players that have (laughs) competed in lots of world titles that are eligible for that grant. And I'm not sure if I think that's the best use of that money. Like, I think the best use for money like that is people who I think if anything, it should be, you could never have gone to a worlds and then you're eligible for it. But that's just an aside, mostly to make the point that it's surprisingly hard to come up with a category that excludes top players because there's Mm -hmm. lots of top players that haven't competed very much and haven't won very much and are, and that, and haven't competed or won for weird reasons, usually geographic and monetary in nature.
0: Like what I would do is just build a system around that and be like, here's the rules of the game and do your best to like try and win the game. And when you do, you get flown out to worlds.
1: Okay. Well, let's go, no matter what, remind me, I want to come back to this first principle where you were really scaring me about all the phone calls I was going to be fielding on your behalf about (laughs) you going rogue to change the judging system. But I do want to talk about if you are building a challenger category, Or judging system what would you want to change that you think would be uniquely well suited for challengers and amateurs specifically
0: i'd probably get rid of execution and make it way more forgiving in general like i don't know if that's what i would really do but make it more forgiving that would be the goal and make it so the see it'd be like right now the sport kind of feels like bowling where if you don't get a strike it's a mistake but I want it to be Mm -hmm. the other way where like you knock down five pins. That's awesome. Like I I want it to be the judging system to reward it that way. I don't know exactly how it's set up the rules to make it feel like that, but I think changing incentives and it's like, because I think it's okay for the pro like the current judging system be how it is where it's like very unforgiving. And if you don't know how to freestyle, you're going to get a negative score but it should not be like that at the amateur level.
1: So I don't know. I haven't thought about this before, or at least not recently. I'm not sure I know the answer. So I'll make a quick digression and I'll bring up a concept I brought up before and that I had a long talk with Jake about last weekend and I want to mention again, which is this... It sounds really arcane, but it's not. This is a concept in the law of ex-post and ex-ante. And ex-post is after the fact and ex ante is before the fact. And the reason these concepts are used a lot in the law is when you're making a rule or a decision, you have to consider what is the impact on something that's already happened? Like how well does it adjudicate something that already occurred versus how will it impact people's behavior in the future? And there's oftentimes, a mismatch between those two things, which makes it difficult at times to decide a rule. So I've talked about this in the concept of a judging system, because to me, one thing that I value, I think a lot more than other people is the ex ante factor of how will this affects people be, how will this affect people's behavior? And I want to, I tend to want a judging system that positively impacts people's learning behaviors and freestyle that teaches them that incentivizes them to learn the right kinds of things. But I think the majority of people are much more ex post where they care. Did the judging system best judge how well these routines performed relative to each other? So that's a fixed mindset. (laughs) Yeah, It is a fixed mindset. And it's, I have a feeling there's people who are struggling to understand what I'm meaning. So let me give you a concrete example and I'll use yours. like, let's say we got rid of execution in the amateur division. So just pick a random worlds that let's say the 22, 2022 worlds just happened. If you were looking back at all those routines, you might say, well, execution really matters. That team dropped it 15 times. That team dropped it five. The team that dropped it less should be rewarded for that. X post that team performed better. But if you think about a challenger division, X ante, That means that people going forward have to really work on and consider the execution and they might be less willing to go for harder, more inventive moves. And they won't be incentivized incentivized to learn new hard things. They'll be incentivized to master a safe type of play that minimizes execution risk. So again, like it might be ex post a great idea. Execution might be the most important thing ex post, like how I felt about your routine is heavily influenced by execution. But ex-ante, I might fear that if we overweigh execution, it influences how people learn and how they play in a way that I don't like. And those are intention. Now, that was a hypothetical because I actually want execution to count more because I want to incentivize catching behavior. And I would love and I'm always seeking a balance to reward execution while also rewarding difficulty and it's super hard to balance those two things and there are a couple of different ways to do it but I'm not sure and I'm genuinely not sure how I feel about getting rid of execution for challengers because on the one hand like I'm saying I think catching is the most important thing in the sport in my view for deciding whether I fully believe that but I think I think if you put a gun to my head and said what's most important about a freestyle I would say catching flow, whatever. You can go bigger categories of things, fun, flow, whatever. But I just mean like in terms of judging the ability of freestylers, like what is the most important thing to me? It's catching. So on the one hand, getting rid of that for challengers, I think what you articulated was a post analysis of saying like, well, I guess you were both, but it's sort of like you want people to be able to go out there and feel like they can explore and they're not penalized every time they do a single mistake. But I'm also thinking, how will that will that teach them to catch in the way that I personally prefer?
0: Yeah, the, I think it's common to look at it backwards. So it's not... You have to start at the intention. So your goal is you want people to catch. But do you want people to catch under the legs all the time? Or do you want them to catch guidances And you have to make exactly. that decision first. And because there's already logistical problems with the goals and until you sort that out you can't make the individual like execution rules yet
1: yeah and that's why sometimes it's hard to talk about any individual category by itself because they're all working in concert and so for instance I think the current judging system's balance is difficulty is worth a lot of value but so is execution so it's way better to execute something more difficult but There's this thing that I don't think we ever talked about that is also, I think an ingredient that's missing from other people's understanding of competition, that if they understood this, it would help them better understand our perspective, which is I think basically in any sport, you can reduce every aspect of it to one single value that enables you to compare them. And let me expand that because that's a controversial statement But I'm talking about in a competitive format. So please take everything I say in this. This is about competition, not about jamming in general. But like if you, I don't know a lot about baseball analytics, but one of my friends is a baseball saber And so I learned a little bit about it, but like my understanding is in baseball, this might be dated, but like one simple way is you could turn everything that's valuable into a run equivalent and runs in baseball are like points. So let's just use points. It's like everything in baseball is worth a certain number of points. It might be worth, half a point. It might be worth two points. might be worth 10 points. But like that thing, even though in the game doesn't translate to a point, it has the equivalent value on average to a point. Do I make sense so far, Ryan? Yeah. So like in freestyle, we like to say like, well, you're rewarded on difficulty and execution and AI and whatever. But all that matters is the number of points you have at the end of the day on your score sheet. And so... When you're thinking about what you're doing, if your only goal is to win, everything should be distilled into its ultimate point value and you should take the highest point values available and ignore the rest. And the reason I bring this up is it's complicated to say like, oh, well, like difficulty and execution are balanced because it's better to do something more difficult and execute. Well, it's like actually like the end of the game, none of that really matters. You just have to figure out like how much do I get from this move in each category give it kind of a score and then compare that to the next thing that you could do. But, and like ultimately if you're building a judging system, you have to think about how anything would be distilled once you consider every category to know what the judging system is doing. Yeah. That's like super complicated. you, You understood what I was saying though, at least I understand, but that's
0: step two. Step one is what do I want? Because when you're building a judging system, you determine what, how thing like how many points things are it's like a guidus gets so many diffs so many X and so much AI right yeah. now but we can change that but if you just change it because guidance was worth too much or too little in the previous release or version, you're gonna get yourself into trouble. you always have to be like we're gonna make the sport more exciting and we think guidance is exciting so we're gonna give it more points. Like that's the direction it has to go.
1: Yeah. And let me follow up on that and go back to what you're calling the step one. So one to shove my post X post framework into this X, if you were building an X post judging system, you would watch the last worlds and you would say, I'm going to build a judging system that ranks these teams the way I think they're supposed to be ranked. And you just apply that judging system going forward. And if you did that, you would find that it didn't work the way you thought it would because you wouldn't be factoring in how the changes you made to the judging system while they worked for routines that already existed. They wouldn't, the judging system wouldn't account for the changes in people's behavior. And that is something that we tried to avoid in the 2020 system, but still it came up of like, Oh, I didn't think that Daniel and Ryan were going to do 27 quick catches to themselves. And that would completely break the whatever, like things like that you can't always anticipate. And I think we came up with practical solutions, whatever, but like, that's, um, an ex post problem. Now I'm working back to your point. So just bear with me. Point two is even if you had ex post and you said like, I'm going to look at the old routines and I'm going to build a judging system that I think ranks those accordingly. Again, I think that's the wrong way to do it. But even if you did do that, you would have to have some framework in your head for why the team should be judged a particular way that would enable you to know how to tinker with a judging system. And that ultimately is the biggest problem of the sport, which is that not everyone agrees on the kinds of things we should value. And here's why I come back to your point, which is when you build a judging system, no matter how you do it, X post X ante, or I should really say like I'm arguing some combination of both, but I'm more weighted towards X ante, but no matter how you do it, you have to decide In some theoretical abstract way, here are the things that are important that the judging system should reflect or reward. And what you and I tend to agree on more than others is that we should reward things that we think influence people's behavior in a way that's positive.
0: So the best part of building a system around a system handles this because what it allows you to do is not focus so much on the individual rules, but... On like a a process so what I mean by that is every judging system rule set like the 2020 system expires and because it expires the amount of weight that setting a rule is is significantly less and the important part becomes what do we want the next two years to look like and what do we want to incentivize and if we make a mistake We learn from that and we do better the next two years. And we will just constantly get better and better. So it's not like we're trying to build the perfect system each time. We're just trying to build something a little bit better or a little bit feels a little bit new this time. Or there's so many different avenues than trying to build the perfect system. And this allows us to do that.
1: Is it kind of like in the U.S. budgetary process where... there's nothing, as far as I know, in the government that is budgeted forever. But it's like every certain period of time, there's a new budget and everything starts at zero dollars and you have to decide going forward how you're going to fund everything. So like the way you seem to be positioning the judging system is I can imagine you have here's every possible category that you could judge. It all starts at zero. And every two years, you just move the dial. Here's what I want and how much I want to weight it. Something like that?
0: Something like that. That's a little... Yeah. I always have to mention that the first step is pick your goals. Because if you're just moving sliders every year, that you'll get yourself into trouble. You can pick your
1: goals. But almost from a process perspective, it's everything is available and then it's just a matter of deciding okay, this is what is going to be emphasized going forward. Exactly. Yes. I think my bad analogy, and this would be my dream, honestly, I would love something like this. And I think it would be so useful to everyone because you could use it for any tournament, however you wanted to. As I, I think about, this is a classic, I'm going to take a long time to get to my point, but, but I remember when Warcraft three came out, one of my favorite games as a kid, Because it introduced me to Dota, which we've talked about a long time. And this is actually related to Dota because it's kind of why Dota exists. Warcraft 3 came with a map editor, which is the most incredible function I'd ever seen as a kid. The map editor essentially let you edit every single component of the game. So you could open up the map editor and you could change, I mean, you could change each character's every single attribute how much damage they did, how much health they did, what their turn radius was, what their movement speed was. You could move every tree, every rock, every everything. And it was really cool because essentially the game opened itself up for you to change it however you wanted. And two, it led to all, it led to the creation of all kinds of other amazing games, including Dota, because people said, well, I'm just going to ignore all the Warcraft paradigms Mm -hmm. and I'm going to use the map editor to create something completely different. So in my perfect world, I could open up freestylejudge.com and say create judging system. And then it would have maybe it would be categories. It would be like go to the difficulty category and first selection, I could pick phrase base, time block, or other. And then once you pick those, you could pick all these other options. And then you could just simply assign how much weight, or you could assign multiples, but it would just essentially be a big dialogue tree or decision tree where you could maybe decision tree is the wrong way to put it because you'd want to be able to see something in a global view. But I just mean that you could create from the ground up very quickly a judging system. And so everyone think about the Berlin hat tournament. You could all sit together at noon and say, okay, the tournament's going to start in two hours. Let's, let's gather around and roll the die and see how it's going to be judged. Or maybe the tournament directors get to choose and that's their privilege. And they can be like, it's all about diff or it's all about whatever," and. You could see lots of different iterations of the editing system. You could find ways that really worked. You could find ways that created different kinds of play. I don't know. It would be really cool.
0: So there's a fancy name for that, but I can't remember what it is, but it's like a, you build a tool that. Like a sandbox. Yeah. Yeah. Is that what it's called? No, it has like a funny name. It doesn't sound like English, but it's. Okay. It has, I think it's like form filter or something in it, but. Is that kind of what you're envisioning? So that is the technical implementation of what I'm thinking when I say system around the system. Yeah. So we don't... That's not a requirement because if you're only building new rules every two years, I can just rebuild the... Like if there's a cost-benefit analysis, like if you're only changing the system every two years, it's easier just to build one-offs than to build this yeah. sandbox. But the sandbox idea is... It's like a parallel to what we're, what I'm talking about, where you don't just build one system, you build a system that has all the systems in it yeah. and it allows you to change the nest, like the one piece at a time, a lot easier. And because it's so easy to change the pieces, it doesn't really, you don't have to put so much weight into it.
1: Yeah. And here's where I come back a little bit more to the core problem I have with the whole idea, which is again, I love the idea. It's just a question of implementation and how the community would feel about it. And I should also say that I kind of think that the community will just be wrong about it. Like I think people should support this kind of idea, but I don't think they won't. And I'm just kind of, and I am like, I lesser than you am willing to bow to the will of the people, even though I disagree with it. That made it sound like a noble thing to do. I don't mean that at all. I just mean it's easier for me to say, look, I want it this way, but other people don't, fine. Um, but thinking about how that process would work is what scares me. So let's say let's say we agree in theory that every two years the Jensen system is going to be changed. How would we even, what would be the decision-making mechanism to change it? I think Who would decide and how ways. would it work? Okay. And
0: every two years we pick a different way until we find the one that works. So like, like the <laughs> obvious one is we pick one dictator and they make it.
1: Or we make a that's committee. that's only obvious and they to you. It. Almost no one would agree with that. <laughs> okay. That's the one I, I tend to think that's fine for some reasons, but it's never going to go the trade. Like
0: each of these solutions have trade-offs. Like, yeah, I mean, the, if you have a committee, there's just more people involved in it. It's just harder because <laughs> you're double the amount of time. If there's two people instead of one, but
1: well, I disagree with that premise. I think it would take more time, but not necessarily in direct proportion to how many people were on it.
0: Yeah. The, the idea is you would experiment and how you make, how you decide how to make the changes depends on like your resources. Like maybe I just retired. So I have a lot of time so I can do whatever, but maybe there's a year where everyone's has kids that year. So we're like, okay, we don't have a lot of time. What's the fastest way we can make the next judging system. That's how it should be approached. I think.
1: And what would you do if everyone liked the judging system? Like we got it right. Everyone loved it. You would
0: change it anyway. And yeah, be I like, figured you'd say that, that was a
1: good year. This happened
0: in Dota too. There was the perfect patch. And it just got old. Like it just will get old.
1: Yeah. One thing, okay, I want to come back to the decision-making process, but one thing I kind of disagree with in terms of the video game analogy, which I obviously love the video game analogy. I make the video game analogy all the time. But I don't know if that logic applies to freestyle because I only compete under the FBA judging system twice a year at most. So it's not like in Dota where every single day you sit down to play Dota, you're playing the exact same game with the exact same rules and the exact same everything. And over time that gets really old. Instead it's I jam every day. It's completely outside of the context of competition and the few times I compete, Most of the time, it's not even the FPA system. And so when it is, I'm not like, oh, this again. I'm just sort of like, this is how it goes. Just like, you know, the rules of basketball were basically the same for 20 years. Um, It changes now, which we can talk about more. Like, I do think it's interesting to talk about this now when major sports are going through major changes right now, which we should touch on that before we finish the pod today. But I don't know if there's a lot of people out there that would say they're bored of the current system. They might have problems with it. But I don't know if boredom is one of them.
0: But I don't think it matters to them if the system is changing radically every two years. They would probably play and get the same results no matter what. So they... Well, I think
1: someone like Daniel or Paul would be like very invested in how the judging system changed.
0: Okay, so for... And they're
1: not bored of it, you know? Yeah,
0: different tiers of players have different problems. So like, yeah, I would consider Daniel and Paul Kenny playing at the highest level and... The problem is I think their games are stunted because they're just trying to do the same thing every time. And I think even they have problems where they're not getting, what is it, rewarded for what they're trying to do. And the idea would be some versions reward what they want to do and some versions don't. And so they can, I don't know, they can like plan their career around that.
1: Well, I like this aspect of the idea and I'll add more detail to it. I don't think we've talked about this before, but there's a really interesting revisionist history about chess and the it's a Malcolm Gladwell podcast. And he talks about how the best standard chess player is not the best speed chess player is not the best lightning chess player. So in chess, normally, whatever you have a certain time limit, that's very long and you minutes. get to take your, yeah. yeah, you get to take your time picking your moves There's a speed version where let's say you get how many minutes? One minute. You get one minute, and there's a lightning version where you get how much?
0: So speed chess is considered 10 minutes, and then bullet is what you're thinking of is one minute.
1: Okay. So the point of this is that there's three different ways to play chess, normal, speed, bullet, and the best player at one of them is not the best player for all of them. And so his point is that chess was arbitrarily set at 90 minutes however many hundreds of years ago. And it's not obvious that that's the right decision, it's just what they did. And so why is it that we care so much about the person that's really good at the 90 minute version, but we don't care so much about the person that's good at the one minute version? Because they're equally skilled at a kind of chess and it's not obvious that one kind of chess is better than the other. And so in freestyle, you could say, we have rewarded the same kind of freestyle player For the last 40, 50, however many years, wouldn't it be better to change the system every now and then to figure out all the different players that are the best in the world at freestyle in one particular way that maybe isn't being rewarded now? And having a rotation allows the best players to shine when the system is in their favor. I don't feel like I express that in the way as clearly as I would like to. But I hope that idea comes across because I I think that's really interesting. And I think, you know, I've obviously been really well suited to the judging <laughs> system because, for instance, I care a ton about catching and catching has been really rewarded. But I think it's totally plausible to say, OK, but here are five players that are way better than me if you don't care about catching. And some people don't, so let's let's reward that. That's a terrible example because, like, a lot of people care about catching you. But I I hope that like the idea comes across. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like, I'll put it another way, which is like, obviously, the best battle players aren't necessarily the best four minute routine co op players. Like, already our system kind of understands this because we understand that, like, if you look at distribution of world titles, you would think that the distribution. Let's take just open for instance you think that like the best players would win equal numbers of open co-op and open pairs, or if anything like more co-op just because there's fewer teams in it. But instead, like some players tend to do really well in pairs and not in co-op and vice versa. It's because those divisions reward different things. And you wouldn't say that the people that win pairs consistently are better than the people that win co-op consistently. You would just say that they have different skill sets, but you can apply that logic much further and say, there are players out there that are the best in the world at freestyle if freestyle were judged in a different way, that's equally valid to the way we judge it currently.
0: Yeah, I agree 100%. It's and, kind of-
1: and one other thing on that, like that is kind of an ex-post thing, but I think it's valid. But let me add the ex anti component, component to it, which is to say it would also be exciting because it would push the freestylers who are disfavored in a current system to learn to adapt to that system. And in theory, that would make players better over time. And also, interestingly, you would have a better idea of who the true best freestylers are, because they would be the ones who could consistently win no matter what the judging system was. Okay,
0: I agree. I was going to mention it in a different way. It's like it allows multiple ways to win, but it's really hard to make a system that allows multiple differing styles to compete. So instead, we just make it one style one year and we make it another style the next year. And that way, you allow two different styles to win. But the player who adapts can win both. But you don't have to adapt if you don't want to. You can just wait.
1: Yeah. I also think one other just analogies in tennis, there are the major tournaments and they all have important different factors. Like one's on clay and one's on grass and one's on court. And there are players that consistently dominate one of them and not the others. So Nadal is one of the best examples of this. He basically, most of his wins are on clay and he's the king of clay, but he's not necessarily the best player in a larger sense because he doesn't do as well at the other tournaments. Um, I'm not a tennis expert, so sorry if I get any of that wrong, but I I really like that idea. But let me complicate it a little bit again and say something like one feeling I have is that, you can make very big changes to the theory behind the judging system, but very few of those changes would dictate the way I play. So in other words, I, I've tended to not care that much about what the substance of the judging system is because I just play the same way no matter what. And generally this is something that's good for one system tends to be good for all of them. And so it tends not to be a problem. I think
0: if the If you know the system can change or is going to change in two years, you can make more drastic changes. And we have not made any drastic changes.
1: Yeah. So I was going to say that next, which is I think, and this is actually a bit of a challenge to the idea, because I think the kinds of changes that would change the way I play are not changing the weight of something or moving the dial. It's conceptual changes that are harder to implement technically. So for instance, I think A change that turned out to be bigger than I think anyone anticipated was the phrasal judging system reward for having lots of phrases for different reasons. Um, That sort of changes the way I play, but I always favored having lots of phrases because it gave you a lot of benefits under the old system. But if you wanted to change the way I played, you would say like only four combos count or every combo (laughs) has to be 12 seconds long. I mean, there's lots of extreme things you could do that would change the way I play, but a, don't know if that's always a good thing and B it would be much harder to implement and much harder to get buy-in from the community about.
0: Yeah. So it depends on what the community is feeling right now, but the idea is you want to lower the stakes. You'd be like, this is only two years. Like we can make a huge mistake and it's fine. We'll fix it in two years.
1: Yeah. I, okay. Let me go back to the decision-making part of it then, because I think this relates to that. I think one, two years is a long time to the average person. People have really short time frames, and it's hard to say, sorry, the next two years are really disfavorable to you. <laughs> but after that, maybe you'll have another chance and you don't even necessarily know. Um, So I don't, Know if that will calm people that are upset with the current iteration of the judging system. But going back for a second to the method of decision making, I'll give my story from Herodotus that I think I mentioned before. But in Herodotus, there's a moment, I haven't read this book in a million years, so sorry if this isn't quite right. But some revolutionaries take over a place and they're starting a new country and they have to decide the form of government. And there's one group in favor of a dictatorship one group in favor of an oligarchy, and one group in favor of democracy. And they decide, I think, or at least this is a discuss, that if you assume the best form of every possible type of government, then dictatorship wins. And it makes sense. They <laughs> say, like, if it's perfect, a dictatorship is just way faster or better because you're assuming the dictator is perfect. And so they picked a dictatorship. Now, you complicate that by saying, yeah, but it's never perfect. And if you have a back dictator, you're in deep trouble. Whereas you have a democracy, the thinking goes, even though democracy is arguably the worst form because it's the most inefficient, you mitigate the bad tales. You get rid of the high and low variants. Okay. So I say that because I think about, I don't like dictatorship because I think people are going to be outraged by it. And one thing that isn't factored into the Herodotus story is that we live in Western democracies for the most part in our sport. So people get really upset when we implement things by authoritarian leadership, for better or worse. Um, and you never know when we're going to have a bad dictator. So right now, I may think you're a fine person to make these decisions, but one day it might be somebody else that I don't agree with. Then you to let's skip to the other side, direct democracy. I am very skeptical of direct democracy in freestyle. Um, and I'm not going to say, I no, I'm not going to go into a big diet of my thoughts about it outside of freestyle, but in freestyle, I have a lot of concerns about using it for the judging system. For a few reasons one i think depending on how sophisticated your surveying methodologies were every time we would get the same results of like here's what people think they want and it wouldn't give us a basis to deviate very much like we would just be like okay everyone wants difficulty to weigh the same amount that they wanted it to weigh a few years <laughs> ago so unless you had a more sophisticated method of like hey here's five proposals one requires 10 second combos one requires you to twirl it for 30 seconds, like whatever, imagine wild routines and put them to a vote. Maybe you'd have something more interesting there, but I also tend to think, and I've gotten this feedback a lot about our judging system podcast. Most people have, it's never occurred to them how complicated it is to make a judging system like this. And sorry to sound like a really patronizing authoritarian here. Like it is really hard to think about how to set up one of these systems. And if you distill it into some easy survey that everyone can take on their preferred social media. I don't know if people would like the results from that. And like, we've already seen in the 2020 system that people say they want something. And then when they get it, they're not often happy about it, which I think Mm -hmm. is also experience in real life that we see all the time.
0: Yeah. I think that's why the goals are important because you're not, it's too hard to be like, is the catch percentage percentage, the right, it's like, no, did people go for more risky things? Like, that's the that, level. Okay, well,
1: let me expand that because that's a great point. Like I think part of the problem and the reason why the judging system isn't so controversial is we've been asking questions like, what's the right cat's percentage multiplier under this judging system? And people have very different views about that, A, and B, people have no idea when they say a number what it <laughs> actually means. Like they may sound good to say 35%, But then when you see it, maybe you don't like how it actually changes the results. But it's a better question to just say like, look, 45 is reasonable. Let's set it there and see what it's like for a year. And knowing that it is there and knowing to expect it is most of the battle for legitimizing the judging system. We all know that it's that rate. Whether that's a good rate or a bad rate doesn't matter because we're all playing by the same rules and we'll see what happens. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Exactly. Okay, let me tie "bo" on the decision making thing, which is my preferred method of decision making in freestyle, which is the one we've in theory adopted. And it is the preferred method of every Western democracy I'm aware of, just probably democracy in general. I just say Western because that's what I always hear <laughs> other people say rightly or wrongly. And whatever, I have more experience with them. So sorry if that's kind of underinclusive, inclusive, but um, we have a representative democracy, which is people vote on people who can make the decisions. And I do think it would be fine for the FPA membership to vote on three people whose job it would be to make the rules for the judging system going forward. And that seems like a totally reasonable thing to do. The problem is we do that process and then people get really upset with (laughs) what the people they elected do. And it's either just like we experience in regular life, the person you didn't vote for wins and does things that you don't agree with. And so you're never going to like what they do. Or even if it is the person you voted for, you sort of in your head assume they're going to do exactly what you would have done, but they might not. And in theory, they're also making better informed decisions and spending more time thinking about things than you could possibly do at home. So anyways, I just I just wanted to tie a bow on that because I think that ultimately is the biggest problem to these ideas is that the decision-making process will be controversial and probably upsetting to people. Also, I wonder if you get it would be better to have the next like three systems mapped out. The problem with that is then you can't adjust as well to like what went right and what went wrong with the current system. But at least you could solve the problem of, I don't care what you tell me about the next two years, if it's not in my favor, because I don't know what's going to happen. I think it'd be
0: like how we have bids for worlds multiple years in advance. And it'd be like, I'm going to go to that indoor worlds and that's the one I'm going to try for. That's what it'd be. You would have like high level.
1: Like the yeah, person. that would require though having a cut yeah, but maybe it's something adjustable. Like here's the we're in the 2020 here's the 2020 here's the 2024 system set in stone. That's 2024 and 2025. Here's the 2026 preliminary system. Yeah, so you can put it on your radar <laughs> and know about it, but it might change based on feedback to the old system. I think that would work. And just another sports analogy, this is kind of how F1 works, from what I understand. I've never watched F1 but they have car requirements that change every so often. And in a sport that is literally how fast is your car? I'm oversimplifying, but (laughs) that's super important. So how the car rules change wipe teams out. Like a team can be the best team in the world. Then the car rules change and their car can no longer, they no longer have the expertise to produce a car that can win. Mm -hmm. And that's just part of F1. Like some years you're good and some years you are bad. And most teams pick their year they say like okay we're not going to win this year or next year but in 2025 when the car rules change we're going to build our car for that year and we're going to compete in 2025 and that's just a part of f1 that i think seems really cool and i would like that idea in freestyle it would also be cool to be like i want to play with ryan but not in 2024 (laughs) i need him in 2025 (laughs) is when i want to play with ryan yeah yeah that's pretty cool um Boy, there's so much here that I want to keep thinking about, but we've gone for a while. So maybe let's start winding it down. So there's at least two more things I want to talk about. One, I want to talk about how other sports are making really big changes right now and what that might mean for freestyle. And then two, I want to circle back to the ultimate question, which is, I was totally blindsided by this topic, but I do want to talk about, like is this a realistic thing that could happen? Okay. But first, it is very interesting that major sports are going through massive changes right now. And I think those changes undercut a lot of the arguments against change in freestyle. So for instance, there's been when routines were shortened, there is a whole debate about how this introduces an interruption to the history of freestyle and it destroys continuity and you can't, compare 2020 freestylers competing under one system to 1980 freestylers competing under another system. But if you look at what major sports are doing, like the NBA, the MLB, and the NFL, they don't care about that at all. (laughs) They're changing things rapidly in major ways. And interestingly, they're very audience-focused changes and not as many let's call player focused or fairness focused change. I have a theory.
0: Why that is, what is your, why do you think it's like that?
1: Well, I do think traditional media in all forms is under dire threat and sports has tended to be the exception of that. But if you take us for like baseball, they actually are genuinely worried about viewership and retaining a global audience of fans. I agree. And so it's more important to them to change the game to make it more audience friendly than to whatever honor some sense of what the game is supposed to be.
0: It's just like how they moneyballed the teams and the players. Now they're moneyballing the sport for the audience.
1: Exactly. But to give an example, the NBA is introducing an in-season tournament to the NBA. So if you know anything about the NBA and you haven't heard about this, this should blow your mind. So (laughs) traditionally you play the NBA season and then at the end of the season, there's a playoffs and a championship just like any basic sport. But the NBA is like, we're adding in the middle of the season, a new tournament, and there'll be a winner of that tournament every year. That's a huge change. <laughs> and they've, they've incorporated existing games into this tournament structure. And it's a single game knockout, which means as far as I understand that some teams will play more regular season games than other teams, which by the way, obliterates things like points per season <laughs> or like like a lot of counting like basically counting stats in major sports are no longer comparable the sports have changed so much that any in-season stat is apples and oranges comparison which I'm always the one who says you can compare apples and oranges but what I mean by that is like if you say LeBron James scored 3,000 points in 2023 and he scored And whatever, Will Chamberlain scored only 2,000 points in 1950. Well, if in 1950, there is half as many games than what Will Chamberlain did was way more impressive. (laughs) But like that kind of idea, basketball, baseball, those ones I know the most about, they just don't care. They just say, we're going to make the changes. And what do we care that statisticians and podcasters have to talk a little bit more and think a little bit harder about what it means to do something in a season. But if they're willing to do that, I think we should be more willing and open to do that. But just to give you a few more examples of changes, baseball added a pitch clock. So now for the first time in over, whatever, 150 years, when pitchers go to the mound, they have to throw the ball in under whatever it is, like 30 seconds. And it's shortened games by a long time. The game's are like two and a half hours now. They're way faster. Mm-hmm. They also- I think there's even a crazy rule. And I'm going to get this wrong. If Jay Coleman's listening, I'm sorry. Whereas if there's a tie game at a certain point, extra innings they just oh, yeah. they put a runner on second base just to start the inning. That one's just really to have someone awesome.
0: In- I think everybody likes that rule because it makes the game exciting. Cause it's like going to sudden death in like another it's, game.
1: <laughs> I don't even know what the freestyle analogy would be. Like if the teams are really close in point total. They have to play another round with a whiz ring or something. It'd be like like a battle. (laughs) You have to
0: battle it. Your points are within five of each other. The judging system wasn't accurate enough. So you're like, now it's time to battle.
1: (laughs) I guess what's crazy about it is they literally changed the mechanic of the game when it's tied. Like The game is no longer the same game you're playing. You're playing a fundamentally different game once it's tied. Which is, like, in a game like soccer, that's how they do it. You have penalty kicks Mm. in soccer. That's a totally different game than soccer or football for the Europeans. Um, But imagine a sport that never had something like that and introducing it 150 years in, and they were willing to do that. And anyways, you know, I just tend to be in favor of being a little bit more progressive in freestyle, which is a funny thing to say. Like, we're the least conservative sport from the outside imaginable, but there is a lot of conservative and conservatism in freestyle that I think looking at other sports, we can combat. Yep. Okay. But now like the real question, I'm gonna get a lot of angry calls about this. So, I mean, how realistic do you think this is and how meaning coming up with some kind of system that changes regularly and how do you plan to go about advocating for it?
0: For... Me, I just want to spread it around and talk about what we get out of it, like the pros. Like everyone gets a chance to win eventually. There's way more growth, things like that. And then hopefully at some point, the average is we should change it more often. And that's when we start looking for ways to commit to it. But I think it would be Well, this is why
1: no oh, yeah. going. I think
0: it would be too hard to implement this in the current what do you call it? I don't know, environment. Where you have to like replace all the board members that agree and then like form a committee and that I think is unattainable.
1: Well, I actually am glad you said that because I think this is a much more democratic buy-in-seeking Ryan than I'm used to. And I think that is probably the right approach. And it does seem possible, but I actually think going back to something we talked about earlier, you creating the sandbox would be the best way to make it happen. Because the sandbox would be would enable people to do something like this at low cost for themselves and learn to love it. So if there was a sandbox available, the Berlin hat tournament could use it every fourth, every four seasons tournament, every non FBA tournament could use it. And people would get used to the idea that the judging system is fluid. It could be a way to advertise your tournament. Here's the parameters we're setting. Think about it when preparing or let's see how cool it is when the only thing that matters is AI (laughs) and you don't get any points for difficulty or execution or whatever, you know?
0: Okay. I have a question for you. You're the CEO of a tech company and you're outsourcing this technology to be built. What do you think the budget would be to build it
1: in real life, in real
0: life, in dollars?
1: I assume it would be millions of dollars i think it's about a
0: hundred thousand dollars
1: really that's it yep turns out i'm probably imagining something more complicated than you are <laughs> but yeah i don't that doesn't surprise me i mean there's so much work involved just to explain to somebody the kinds of parameters that we care about in freestyle, oh, no we already did all that work that's it.
0: not a counter you're outsourcing just the building part of it
1: so like basically they just get a package that's like here's everything we wanted to yeah, do just exactly it. okay yeah that's that's a lot of work yep that you would do. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it is what it is, but it would be cool. I mean, one of the advantages we've had as a sport is that despite our size and our resources, we've had really smart people devoting a lot of effort. So for instance, like the freestyle frisbee world championship stream in 2013 was incredible. (laughs) Like, like it was as good as streams that people spent millions of dollars on but it was done for free by two people volunteering their time. And I think it would be within the normal freestyle framework to have a few hundred thousand dollars worth of technology powering our judging system, (laughs) even though we're a sport with only, you know, hundreds of people competing regularly. And I don't know when I retire, maybe I'll learn how to code and I'll be able to actually help you, but we'll see if that ever comes to pass. But I just really like, like that idea It's just so hard. People, I think a fundamental problem is most people live in Plato's world where there is an ideal that is right and good. And if we could just build a system (laughs) that could measure it, then we would finally achieve freestyle nirvana. But that's not the truth. The truth is everything is relative. Truth is relative. There is no meaning. It's only the meaning we assign it. And so we're never going to find a judging system that is perfect and reaches some ideal. Instead, we just have to set parameters that, that the victory of the judging system is that we all knew what it was and we aligned ourselves to that system and who performed the best within it. I mean, that is really, that's the only attainable freestyle nirvana. And if we could convince more people of that, and I I genuinely think that is right. If there is a platonic ideal here, is that truth is relatives. (laughs) Like (laughs) the platonic ideal is relativism. And if everyone can agree to that, it becomes much more feasible to do what you do. In fact, I think if you assume as I do, that it is all relative, it's almost incumbent upon you to adopt a system like the one you're proposing, because otherwise you're saying, here's our arbitrary relative truth and we're sticking with it forever (laughs) instead of at least exploring other alternatives to it. It's possible. I do think the new generation is much more open than the old generation. And the new world moves a lot faster than the old world. And so I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. And you've certainly moved me a lot on this podcast in favor of it. But I'm sure when this is all is over and I inevitably get a call from Paul or Daniel and be like, Yeah, it's probably Ryan being radical in a way that other people are not gonna be happy with. It's just it's hard that you hold the keys to the kingdom because no one else will do the work but that puts you at odds with everyone else who disagrees with what's happening. I mean, that's, that's the core struggle. I feel like I deal with in <laughs> the freestyle world. This it's my friendship to you and the politics of our sport, which are often at odds with each other. Is it not, but- you
0: just explain the situation like you just did. And then everyone's like, Oh, well, I guess there was no other choice. Like <laughs> what,
1: Someone could only the world worked like that way.
0: (laughs) Like all my stuff is open source, so they can just copy it and then make their own.
1: But what how many freestyles in the world have the expertise to use your open source software? You it might be zero. Yeah, I think it could be.
0: I mean, they have the expertise is the wrong word. Like they have the technical skills to do it. But I mean, do they have the hundred of hundred hours as well?
1: Yeah. I mean, if I guess part of the problem is that because everything is relative, everyone's preferences are also relative. And so their preferences are never gonna fully align. So I, even if you agree with me that everything is relative and the justice should change, you're still gonna fight me every time we're trying to change it. And that's gonna cause problems. I mean, I think about my job, right? I mean, being a lawyer, if like everyone experiences at some point, you have a case, you read one side of the case and you're like, open, shut case side Brian wins no question and then you read side B's argument and you're like wait a minute side B that's the way to go side B's right and then usually side A gets a reply and you're like I don't know what to believe anymore they're both right or they're both wrong it's just it's in a world without absolute truth it's very hard to make decisions I think but all of game development
0: lives in that space so there's ways to deal with that
1: true but games develop games benefit from the fact that they are games corporations (laughs) living in a capitalist enterprise where there's no question about the decision making it's valve is in charge they make the game they can make it for whatever purpose they see fit and generally everyone knows that their main goal isn't competition integrity it's how do i make this game as popular as possible to make the most money as possible and so when everyone knows the rules of the game and the decision makers, it's much clearer what can and should and will happen. But even then, people are still furious when there's changes to Dota that they don't like. And Valve doesn't care because, you know, they're sitting in their pool of money. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But you and I aren't sitting in a pool of money. So if we do something and everyone hates it, we're the ones who hear about it and we don't get any benefit from it. So that's that's part of the practical struggle struggle for me, which is, I like all these ideas, but as someone who mentioned from upfront that I'm not that invested in competitive formats anymore, I don't want to be fighting with my friends about judging systems. You know, mm. like it's not, even if I think you're right, it's not worth the pain in my life to fight for it. Yeah. Like I thought it would be easier when I wasn't competing. I mean, obviously I have another world to go. Like, I assume that none of these changes will apply to me. So you'd think it would be easier for me to take a stand on it or something. I don't know, because a you wouldn't be able to accuse me of as I've been accused of morphing the system to favor myself somehow. Or at the very least, you get a certain amount of impartial judgment credit because you're not influencing a system that affects you directly. But it's even more difficult for me to be. Invested. I just, I don't almost see more clearly how insane it is, how invested people are, which it's hard for me to say, because I do think it's perfectly valid to take freestyle and freestyle competition seriously. And I think we should encourage people to do that. But I guess you have to be able to draw boundaries and say you can take it as seriously as you want within a growth mindset and within a way that maintains your friendships or something. (laughs) But the problem is this competitive format thing can become so divisive. And that's the part where I, I don't want people's seriousness to become the dividing barrier. I don't know. It's hard to talk about. It's like, it's a difficult subject. Oh, and also I think, well, random aside, I started when every time I see Will, as soon as the podcast is done, he asked me like 10 follow-up questions, which is why it's nice. It's nice to know that people listen. We should check our listener number soon. Um, But I think about people that are new that hear these conversations and they will probably think like, wow, they're really serious about this and very concerned about it. If you didn't live through it, you don't know what it was like. <laughs> the change to the 2020 judging system was harrowing. And there are a lot of bodies in the wake of that. And I personally never want to go through something like that ever again for any reason. And I'm not sure anyone came out a victor from that process. So when you, when you come on the podcast and tell me you want to do that every two years, I'm like, I don't know, buddy, that sounds <laughs> terrifying. Okay. Anything else on that? I mean, there's so much, but anything else we want to touch on today?
0: Nope. I think that was a good, it's a good place to, Stop.
1: Okay. Well go see Oppenheimer wherever you are. I'm going to see Barbie soon too. So maybe I'll have thoughts on that. I'll try not to make this a movie podcast because what do I know about movies, but I like them. Um, and with that, check us out at collectorcounter.com. and worlds is coming up. Hope everyone's getting some good playing time in and can't wait to see everybody soon. All right. Talk soon.